Welcome everybody to the Listen Up Podcast. It's your boy Brandon at Future No Dad 24. It's your boy Sam at More Life One. Let's get it. Put it up. Hey, on today's episode, we got Adam. Y'all know him as Adam. He's on Twitter, FSU fan. I mean, we've we've talked to him before in the past, friend of the program. We 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 uh we appreciate him being on. We also have Ingram Smith. He joined us as well previously on the podcast. Talked to us during our um bridging the gap series. We have him back. Guys, welcome. We appreciate you being on. Happy to be here, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Look forward to it. Hey, no problem, guys. So, listen, on today's episode, we got a lot of different topics we're going to cover. Let's just dive right in, man. You guys ready? Sure thing. Off we All go. Right. Sam? Yeah, let's get it. Let's get started. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so I'm going to throw this one out, I guess, to, to everybody, but we'll start out with uh, you, Adam. So, of the big three programs, Florida State, Florida, Miami, and I said I was going to attend. told me not to, but I think I'm going to throw in UCF in, in the mix of that. <laughs> so maybe not the big three programs, but I mean, what would FSU really rank? I guess if we had to rank those programs right now, what would FSU rank amongst those uh, programs? I think anytime you talk about college football and you talk about programs and, and ranking, you got to be careful not to rank a team as it is currently comprised uh as comparison to a program, which is about really more so the infrastructure and long-term trajectory. So like in the short term, FSU is definitely out of the team that you named um, either third or fourth best. And I say either because um, say what you will for Miami in a, in a head to head um, Miami is likely going to win next week. Um, but given where they finished last year and the way their team is comprised, um, it's yet to be seen. And it's, it's very easy to overhype two games uh, going to a no. That's something that we've seen before out of a lot of teams, not just Miami, but also especially Miami. Um, so from a program standpoint, I would still say that, that FSU is a, uh, oscillating somewhere between number two and number three. And I put, I put that as UF being, uh, in the best position and then it's either FSU or Miami, uh, and then UCF and, and UCF, I'm sure if any of their fans hear this, they're, you know, uh, feverishly typing away, uh, looking up their little infographics (laughs) about what's happened over the last five years and whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, until they're in a Power Five conference, um, their path to winning anything significant is non-existent. And so, um, for that reason, they can't they can't be. But also, five years is an extremely short time um, in in college football, and we've seen this before. UCF is in better position to sustain what they're doing 
than say USF was a decade ago, uh, or really at this point, 15 years ago, yeah. when everyone thought that you, that USF was the number four in the quote unquote big four. Um, however, as we all know, that was not sustainable. And so, um, they've, they've got some time before I would consider even having a conversation about a, a quote unquote big four in Florida. There you go. Ingram. <clears throat> yeah. So I think Adam made a lot of good points since he's a want to do what I would say is, uh, you know, the more disturbing thing is is the uh, the state where the collective big three find themselves or big four, you know, in pretty much any other time in the last uh, 40 years. If you were to say that you were on top of the the proverbial big three triangle, well, then you were winning the national championship and one of the more dominant programs in in college football. Uh, Florida's trying to figure out how to win the SEC East right now. So I think we've seen a collective fall off. And, and obviously the SEC is a talented conference and is kind of having a 10 year uh, another strong run. But um You've seen so many kids leave. You see so many elite kids go to Alabama, Georgia, et cetera, uh, that it's really kind of reshaped to me this argument. And it really doesn't matter to me. I mean, if UCF wants to put up some some cute little billboards like USF did 15 years ago, then they're welcome to. Um, but it's hard to deny that I don't think necessarily uh, Miami's head and shoulders above Florida State right now, but they're – They've got a much different feel when it comes to the recruiting trail, and they're having a hell of a lot more success in the transfer portal, to which I don't fully understand, uh, but they are. And they've found pieces that will you know, allow them to probably perform at a level this year that they wouldn't have otherwise, and I'm not just talking about the quarterback. So uh, I think it's, you know, Florida State knows that it's, uh, it's got a, a hill to climb. And uh, it'll just be fascinating to see how long it takes and, and what this looks like. But even if I give Florida their number one right now, I don't, you know, at the end of the year, we're probably talking about a Florida team with two to three losses and is playing in a nice bowl game, but not something that uh, people are necessarily going to make appointment watching or, you know, something that Florida fans are going to be talking 10 years from now. Uh, I'll be more fascinated to see. You know, whether or not this trend reverses to where um, half of Florida's elite talent signs with Alabama, Georgia, or Clemson, um, or if things start to revert more, more to the norm where maybe 75, 85% of these kids of your top high end talent, you're always going to have kids leave the state because there's only so many scholarships that can be given. But uh, I'll, I'll be more interested to see what the the elite talent and where that lands uh, moving over the next five years or so. I think that'll be as, as important. Uh, facet of this conversation is anything okay uh sam well I, it's kind of hard. Wanna... it's it's hard to it's hard to quantify because i think florida state has the potential we well, we know what florida state is at its highest potential you know what i'm saying uh to be unlocked uh the hill seems tougher because you look at the talent right now it does seem like it's a a huge gap in talent. I don't think it's as big as everybody thinks it is. I think we like one or two key positions actually away from being a competent program again. Um, but I, I think I still would rank Florida State above Miami, um, you know, right behind Florida. Uh, 
that's not counting the on-field product currently, uh, but I, I think Florida State still can turn it around and still be a national champion. I, I'm still kind of in the box of I don't know if Miami can actually win a national championship. Um, I mean, that's just how I feel. Uh, but that, that's about it. I think these guys pretty much summed it up pretty well, though. No, I, I agree. I don't have anything to add to it. But I guess my question would be, so 2013, even 2014, is not that far away. The program, from what it looks like, is is on a decline. Uh, how did, how do we get here so fast? How how did it, how did it end? I guess one, and how do we see it? Or how can we get it to turn around? So um, Ingram, go ahead. Uh, go go first on this one. Um, yeah. You know, one. Yeah. How do we get here? Two. You know. So I think you got leading indicators and lagging indicators. And unfortunately, a lot of times the results on the field, well, they could be both. Uh, But a lot of times when you're trying to turn something around, the results on the field can be lagging indicators, can be one of the last things that you see. Um, I think, like, if you're looking at what Florida State's doing, and this is something that we'll uh, get into more in the conversation, if you look at the hire that they made, uh, regarding the boosters, I mean, that's a big, big time hire that they paid a, a large amount for and were particularly aggressive in getting uh, the hire that FSU made as the uh, chief of staff, Bruce Warwick. Again, that's that's the hire of a <clears throat> of a program that's not content with where it is right now. And uh, I think, you know, those are more leading indicators. What what you're really looking for is. um and it's probably not Rod or it's it's probably not a kid in this year's class. You're what you're really looking for is bellwether, and those are easier to find than not. So, like everybody knew when James Wilder Jr. committed that that was a big damn deal. Even if yeah, I remember writing the article where he committed uh, for the place I was working at the time, I didn't I wasn't sure he was going to be a great football player, but I was damn sure that this was a a significant moment in recruiting in the state of Florida. Uh, Jeff Luke uh, or Luke the linebacker was a a similar uh, prospect to an extent. Um, I I date the Jimbo recruiting era to Nigel Bradham's commitment. That was uh, when Jimbo was still OC, but Jimbo was given the responsibility of recruiting the Tallahassee area. And that was a kid that was obvious was going to be different in level of talent, different uh, in the ability to have teammates buy into what they were trying to do. Um, I'm not saying Jennings isn't it, but I, I do think that you're one – pretty significant high school recruit away from uh, beginning to be considered, you know, seriously. And, and that kid's probably got to come from uh, Florida, maybe South Georgia, but really I think it's probably got to be a kid from, you know, Orlando or Tampa or Miami or something like that, uh, that gives other kids confidence, faith, and they know that that kid's a badass, that that kid's not a loser, that he's not going to suffer fools. And then he's, you know, somebody that they can kind of build and and start a real significant turn of the ship when it comes to recruiting. Uh, Adam, go ahead, man. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what Ingram is saying. And I think, um, you know, when you are when you are an FSU fan and you're in it, um, it can feel like this happened suddenly, but like Ingram said, there's leading indicators and lagging indicators and, you know, basically meaning that, that the evidence of things gone wrong don't always show themselves immediately. And so, um, when, when things were happening, um, 
under Jimbo as they deteriorated. And uh, people don't always want to talk about that. I know it's a it's a running annoyance with FSU fans and FSU Twitter in particular with um, pining for Jimbo and uh, you know, if Jimbo were still coach X, Y, Z, blah, 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 whatever, whatever. But the reality is the program uh, started to deteriorate under his watch. Um, and one of the, one of the things about that is it was at such a high level and um, Bud and Ingram talked about this a lot on their podcast, no cast uh, in case anyone somehow is listening to this and did not know the name of it. Um They've talked about this for a long time, and they've talked about it uh, back when it was happening, but Jimbo Fisher had a hit rate on his recruits that was not sustainable, meaning um, a lot of kids who were three stars, and some of that was skill and evaluation, but some of it was also just the luck of kids not getting injured, kids not washing out, kids not getting into trouble, kids not uh, getting kicked out of school, kids getting qualified, uh, but a lot of kids were performing much higher than what their recruiting ranking was. Um, and that was not sustainable. Um, that's not to to take away from the the height of success that we hit in 2013. But as you can see, even in 2014, it was very difficult, even with an extremely talented roster, to maintain that type of dominance for that program. And as... Uh, as we got further removed from 2013, um, you sort of realize within Jimbo's era that that year, that level of performance, that thorough of a team was an outlier. Because um, even that 2012 tw- team was as talented as you could ask for. Um, and so I say all that to say um, there were warts in the program that were easy to ignore because we were still stupefied by 2013. So as 2014 came, um, it it was okay because we were still winning every week and we still ultimately had a very good shot at winning a national championship. Um, Even that Oregon game as ugly as it was, as we all know, without, uh, you know, what was it like four turnovers in the course of, of 20 minutes of, of gameplay. um, That was a game that, should have been way more competitive than it was. And ultimately FSU was a game away from making the national title. So that's two years where you, you build and buy a lot of credibility when you have a run like that. And so when things start to go downhill in 2015, 16 and 17, and you've got a superstar like Dalvin cook, who is um, an eraser of sorts. He's really, I mean, the, the dude was, was good enough to, make your team significantly better and keep you in games and have you win games that you probably shouldn't have been in or probably should have lost repeatedly. He did that over and over again for us. Um, and, and so for, for that reason, you've got Jimbo in the program who knows where the warts are, even if he's somewhat in denial subconsciously about what they are and, and sort of struggling to keep it all together. Eventually that fell apart. And that's why it felt like it was sudden. Like all of a sudden we suck. Like what happened? Even coming into 2017, we didn't know that we were sorry. Nobody did nationally. No one knew locally. No one knew we were ranked number three. We were um, hoping that we would be in position and have the team make up, um, believe that we had the team make up to potentially upset Alabama uh, in game one and our team was just not that um, there. And, and even in 2017, 
people were arguing, oh, you know, if Francois didn't get hurt, we probably win 10 games. That's bullshit. That's just not, it's just not true. Um, but it was easy to say at the time. And so you, you have all that occur, that, that sort of, um, slow but sudden decline where it was happening, but a lot of us were in denial. And, and I have to, um, I have to say that there were definitely people who, who were kind of ringing the alarms like, yo, something ain't right. Um, in 2015 and 2016, you know, I, you know, I know we're quote unquote rebuilding, but something, something ain't right. Um, and then you have Willie Taggart come in who, as we all know, was a disaster. Um, but in, in general, I think when someone comes in trying to clean up a mess and they haven't properly diagnosed what the mess was or don't have the proper understanding of what the mess was, um, let alone whether or not they are capable. Um, so, so obviously, in hindsight, there's plenty of reason to question whether or not um, and, and determine that Willie, Willie Taggart was not capable of cleaning up the mess that he inherited at FSU. Um, and there's also debate about how big of a mess it was when he showed up. I think it was pretty significant. Um, so I say all that to say, like, it seemed like it deteriorated quickly, but I don't think it was that quick. I think it was on par for the way college programs tend to go when they go in cycles. If you think about UF after Urban Meyer um, and really at the end of his tenure, like that was a quick descent, like from 2009 to 2010. It was like, what what happened to y'all? You know what I mean? Um, right. And that that tends to happen in programs, which is why anytime you see someone sustain it for a long period of time, it's really impressive. And that's why Dabo Sweeney gets more credit now than than really any. I mean, there's on, there's only a handful of coaches who have ever really sustained long term success anywhere. Um, and that's why they get the type of credit that they do. Yeah, I want to I want to hit on a point that you made, Adam, um, about the no cast um, discussing um, that deterioration because I, you know, uh, for the record, Ingram, I've been listening to y'all podcast since. I mean, for, I think since y'all first started at Talkshoe, right? I think y'all was at Talkshoe first. I think it's it was, been, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's been a while, and I appreciate the listen. Yeah, so I, I, I listened. So Bud and Ingram, I think it was after 2013. I think it was after the 13 national championship, and uh, Bud said something on there. He said, uh, you know, FSU is not recruiting to the level that it, it should be recruiting at the national championship. And, um, you know, a lot of the fan base got, you know, really up in arms with Bud about what he was saying. Um, and, you know, so I was like, well, Bud's not a dumb guy. So I was like, well, what is he, you know, what is he talking about? So I, I kind of always kind of put that in the back of my mind every time we would have a recruiting class. And when I when you look at that, that 13 class, the 14 class, the 15 class, and the point that he made, and then you go back and look at um, the class that Bama was bringing in after their first national championship, and the class now that you see what Clemson is doing after their national championships, it all makes sense, right? Like, you're not going to sustain the hits, right? You're going to start taking better players that's going to be more, um, I guess they're going to be a little bit more selfish, maybe, um, more entitled. So you're going to take those type of players. But I think what – I think what the biggest indicator that it was catering was the coaches leaving. I think I think Coley leaving, although people didn't like Coley, um, I think Coley and uh, Eddie Grant was the big one to me. Once Eddie Grant left, I think that was a big deal because he was a he was somebody that Jimbo could trust 
as far as as, uh, as far as evaluations of talent. And I do think that that second staff that he brought in uh, wasn't good guys as far as and, – and the fact that Pruitt left so fast was an indicator, in my opinion. Um, I think they could see they – was, they was getting off while the train was hot. You know what I'm saying? So I think that was a part of it, personally. Well, yeah. I mean, Jimbo, obviously they, they make, I think, six coaching changes between 2012 and 2013. Um I, I happen to know somebody on the Jimbo 1.0 staff, so I can speak fairly candidly. I mean, Jimbo was just acting like a like a crazy lunatic, which a lot of head coaches do. That's not uncommon. Uh, and he was, you know, he was he modeled himself after Nick, but maybe maybe took some of the things that he said to people and about people at a level that was a little bit further than than others would. Um, and I think the guys that he brought in on that 2.0 staff, probably a little bit better, co- better coaches, but I, a lot of them were so kind of weathered that they wouldn't tell Jimbo to go, you know, stick it up his ass or something like that. You know, I mean, they just realized they were coming into coach kids and, uh, and the idea, Hey, look, you come in, you work with Jimbo and you're, uh, the OC, even if in title, you know, I, with all due respect, I don't think Randy Sanders came back to go coach his alma mater. He came back to be the OC in title, Florida State to either win or appear in another national championship. And maybe you get a chance to be, uh, you know, the head coach of, uh, I don't know, uh, Marshall or uh, something like that, or a, a Conference USA team, or maybe one of these uh, lower SEC teams if you have some kind of relationship like that. And the success never came about. And so these guys never really got the opportunities they did. And then I just think you had a whole bunch of dead wood and a whole bunch of, of dead wood that kind of culminated in, in the 17 season where I, I firmly believe that Jimbo Fisher made the decision to leave Florida state uh, before the season even started. And then really, really made the decision to leave Florida state uh, about three weeks into the process to where a lot of these kids, a lot of these national prospects, uh, Florida state was either in on or, well out in front of and nobody heard from Florida State for months at a time uh and then I think you know a lot of the and I realize I'm kind of bopping you know jumping about here but uh, um there's an expression <laughs> that the Sopranos uses uh it's an Italian expression I think it's pronounced like Amora foo or something like that and it's basically just like this all-consuming passionate love that's kind of blinding and that's what this fan base and Willie Taggart went through for about four or five months to the point where no, none of the none of the problems that Taggart inherited were really addressed and aggressively tackled because I think everybody was just like, we got a guy who wants to be here. He loves being here. We love the idea of what he's going to be. He's going to be an incredible recruiter, all this other stuff. And none of the minutia, none of the details, none of the the things that have been looked over in this program were really addressed ever. Uh, and, and certainly not in Willie's kind of first six months or so uh, to which you would expect that. So uh, how we got here involves uh, a lot of the things that I said, and involves a coach who's uh, <laughs> got a real good feeling for himself and, a, and certainly a whole lot of, uh, maybe a little bit of hubris, and he went through a publicly divorce that was humiliating uh, to him to an extent. And uh, I think you just had an awful lot of uh, elements that went into kind of this rock that was rolling down the hill 
and you just kept piling things on it to the point to where, um, you know, you've certainly reached the low water mark for the program, at least in the last 50 years or so. Yeah. I'm going to ask, I'm going to say something about that Ingram. Um, do, do the coaches at Florida state have too much control? Because I think that was the big problem to me. Uh, the fact that Jimbo could get away with not talking to recruits for months at a time. Uh, some of the things that went on with Willie, as far as, uh, the, the logistics, you know, of actually running a football program, um, do they have too much control? Like, is it too much well, on their yeah. plate, you know, being a yeah, first-day I mean, head I would, coach? I, I would say that some of them would say that the, they don't have enough control and they're asked to do too much. Um, Jimbo, well, one, Jimbo had won a national championship, and Jimbo had basically asserted, you know, positioned himself as though he was going to be the football coach for as long as he wanted to. I mean, even, even up to – I think 48 hours or so before he left Texas A&M, you still had the president of the university saying Jimbo's our, our football coach and Jimbo's going to be our football coach for a long time. Um, I think with, with Willie, you just had a, you had a guy that wasn't uh, quite there uh, ready to take the helm at such a big operation. And then you bring up a great point. He didn't have some of the support, whether or not he didn't bring it in or the institution uh, didn't offer it to to kind of take some of those things off uh, the head coach's plate or the coaching staff's plate in general uh, and, and provide a little bit broader support when it comes to some of the things that aren't football-oriented. So, Adam, let me ask you a question. How, how much, I guess, do we put on the boosters and the booster organization? Because if we're talking about, I guess, real issues that started a long time ago, we kind of have to look at the topic and, and figure out you know, where did these problems start? How much, I mean, how much blame or, or credit do we attribute to that group? I, um, I don't feel comfortable putting blame on the boosters. Um, and, and I say that, uh, I have strong opinions about the boosters, uh, organization and, uh, both positive and, and, some that are not as positive. I won't even say negative because what the way that Seminole Boosters was built and structured for a very long time was extremely effective and efficient for Florida State. Um, and so I think that has to be acknowledged. Um, historically, I don't think people really understand what FSU athletics has done over the course of 40 years. Um, with significantly less resources than a lot of our contemporary, of our, our biggest competitors. And a lot of that is because of the efficiency of the Seminole Boosters. My biggest criticism of Seminole Boosters is that the leadership structure um, allowed for a certain amount of um, stagnation because when you have a an immovable leader. So you don't have, you know, term limits or um, a governance structure that allows you to rotate leadership. You have an organization that becomes very top heavy um, with the same type of experience. And so as things evolve around you, um, as the environment changes, if the top leadership in the organization is stagnant. These are the same people that they have been for the last 30 years, 40 years. Um, there's a lot of discomfort 
uh, that comes with, let's say, let's say that uh, the the four of us are top leadership, and let's say Sam is number one, and Brandon Ingram and myself are two through four. Um, two through four may have some significant radical ideas that could change and possibly even accelerate the organization and thereby help accelerate the athletic programs that we support. Um, but if only one of us has that opinion and there is no measure or check or balance that's going to supplant, who did I say is number one, Sam, let's, yeah. we're, we can't supplant Sam as number one. Um, and it's politically dicey for, for us to push too hard for our ideas because everyone is sort of flam as yes men. Um, just because Sam's power is too immovable. A lot of that is the type of the, the type of thing that I think held the Seminole boosters back. But in addition to that, um, I think that they, that the organization was a, a very easy to sell scapegoat um, for why things started to deteriorate, particularly in the football program. And a lot of that has to do with what Ingram was talking about, where, you know, Jimbo more or less had already made his decision, especially by the time he started to get really loud about some things. Some of his criticisms were legitimate, but they were also misplaced. And he was purposely framing them publicly in a way to absolve himself of responsibility. Um, and that that's what rubbed me most the wrong way. Um, so, Seminole Boosters has its challenges and issues, and some of them are not organizational. Some of them are, um, some of them are a matter of we have a fan base, we have an alumni base of people who have been very spoiled by our success because we've been able to do so much with so little, and we have not culturally, as as an FSU alumni base caught up to what's necessary in engaging in the types of behaviors that a lot of other fan bases engage in supporting our program financially. Um, and so that's something that, you know, the, the Seminole boosters are working on. They got a new CEO that they're really excited about. It's a former athletic department, um, at central Michigan. Um, he's, you know, really buttoned up, really, uh, bringing in some fresh ideas and uh, has a strategic vision. So we'll see how that plays out in the coming years. Um, but overall, I, I would say I'm not comfortable putting the onus on the Seminole Boosters organization for what happened, even though obviously they play a very significant role in, um, in the continued success and, and the direction of our programs. Okay. Um, Ingram, go ahead. Like, I guess, speak on to what. Yeah. Speak, yeah. Speak. Speak to what uh, Adam was just talking about. Well, I think there's a an awful lot there, and I think um, I realized a lot of this conversation centered around Jimbo, but I, there's a reason for that. And I think we can both be wildly appreciative of Jimbo, and also um, be really critical of him. And and it was at a point in his ending there that he had a. Uh, exceptionally toxic relationships with everybody. I think, I think Jim, uh, I think Adam brought up a great point about uh, once he was gone, it really, I, I think he, he and his representation did a good job of framing things that 
you know, we're not uh, <laughs> we're not reflective of necessarily the job and, and was more kind of excuse making. Uh, Jimbo Fisher had a exceptionally toxic relationship with almost everybody. I mean, the the Jimbo Fisher could have gotten fired singly, single handedly alone with his interactions with Stan Wilcox probably five or six different times. Uh, and I'm not saying he said anything racist, but he said some some ignorant shit, to be honest with you, um, and things that could get you fired. I think Jimbo, I don't think, I know, every time Jimbo saw College Town, he thought that was $30 million that should have been injected directly to the program. You know, not seeing the long-term benefits that that project has provided, uh, ultimately it is going to be, when there is a, a, little, a little bit more stability in the commercial real estate market, it's going to be a wild windfall uh, for the boosters. And that thing will be one of the elements that allows Florida State to kind of catch up when compared to some of its peers. But Jimbo thought that should have been, you know, uh, a, a list of things. Um, and then ultimately, you know, where I'm where I'm hypercritical of Jimbo Fisher is coaching is not, uh, <laughs> I guess, maybe the Sopranos reference earlier as, as planted in my mind, coaching is not the mafia, uh, but there is certainly a code and you live by that code and because everybody else has, has lived by that code and Jimbo broke the damn code. You do not stop recruiting. I mean, you, you recruit, if you know you're taking the Tennessee job tomorrow, Tennessee job tomorrow, uh, the night before you're in somebody's living room telling them why, you know, they should go to your current employer because that's how this industry works. And, Jimbo Fisher shut down recruiting in a manner that I've never seen before. I mean, just at an egregious, egregious level. So I think we've we've got to uh, appreciate what 2010 through 2013 and 14 looked like and the build process that went on there, and uh, and also really you know hold his hold his feet to the fire when it comes to the the permanent memory of of Jimbo Fisher and the way he left. Uh, I do think the boosters have their their own you know, or have had their problems. And uh, this isn't like a major deal, but I'll give you an example. Um, a couple months ago, so some friends of mine, you know, like we all call each other Iron Arrows, right? Because that's the lowest form of, uh, of booster membership. And it's just kind of a joke. Uh, it's, it's what $75 gets you. Excuse me. It's the joke between us. I'm not saying if you're a joke, if you're contributing at that level, that that's a joke. Uh, but a friend of mine who is not an Iron Arrow got... Uh, got a package from the boosters and the little, um, you know, license plate decal that he got, uh, was that he was an iron arrow. Um, that would be funny on a one-off, but then the boosters sent out an email and evidently they sent the wrong stuff to like over a thousand people. Uh, there are still great some log logistical problems within that, in within that organization that need to be cleaned up. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that doesn't mean that it's a failure or, Oh, everybody's, uh, you know, everybody needs to be made redundant or uh, or isn't a, a professional, but eh, there's still some things that need to be looked at and aggressively addressed and, and cleaned up. I, I guess my question is, how does how does a coach with, again, multiple coaches on the staff stop recruiting? Uh, well, that year was kind of crazy. We had the hurricane. It wasn't there wasn't the clarity in a traditional year that that would become evident but i mean i i think i was the first person to bring that up uh on the null cast because all these kids from georgia were being recruited and a friend of mine's on the seven on uh or coaches the seven on team that a lot of these kids were on 
And uh, he told me, like, hey, man, Owen Popo was making a commitment video uh, to Florida State, had it scheduled. And then Owen Popo hasn't heard from anybody from Florida State for six or seven weeks now. Um, and the, the also the big presumption that happened in that year was, oh, well, Jimbo's going to fire everybody. So maybe they're not recruiting as aggressively because, you know, they know that they when they have a new position coach, these are the kids they need to look at. And then by the time, you know, Bud and I and many other people were kind of ringing the alarm, it was just, you know, damage was done and, and he was going to Texas A&M within the next two to three weeks. So uh, I think just because that year was a little bit strange and it just didn't make sense, man. It, it felt like you were taking crazy pills. I mean, to to come on a podcast and say, Florida State hasn't reached out to the top quarterback or the top linebacker in the country in more than four or five weeks. What, how, why, what the hell is going on? It, it was just a bizarre sense of time. And, and that year with some of the, uh, you know, logistical chop ups, I guess, maybe masked it a little bit more than it would have otherwise. Wow. Okay. Um, so, Sam, you want you want to chime in on this one? If not, I'm, I, I got another question for. Yeah. Um. No, I don't. I don't have anything to add to that because. Um. I mean, I don't think the boosters are. They have achieved. Like Adam said, they have achieved a lot. You know. So you have to give them credit for that. Um. I guess my thing would be, FSU hasn't had a real, empowered, athletic director, and I think, I think that might be the biggest issue. I mean. You have to have some form of checks and balances within the athletic program, and um, I think not having a real empowered athletic director is an issue. Somebody that, that walk up and say, "Hey, man, um, why are you not recruiting?" And I need you to start back recruiting. Like this is not a this is not something we're going to negotiate with. You know, I I think that that's a big deal. Um, but now I don't have really much. I don't want to bash the um, the booster organization. I, I think they've done some good things, and they, I mean they've done some things they need to clean up. You know. Okay, so we we've talked about. The if problems. I could just chime in, what what he just said times a thousand, man. The the power vacuum that's existed at the athletic department is exceptionally tied to the conversation that we're having here right now, and it goes back to to Randy Spetman, really. Yeah. I mean, Florida State hasn't hired true ass athletic directors in a long time, and it is very reflective of that. And and. Uh, they got unlucky. I mean, they wanted to kind of pivot into a new athletic director right now. They thought, and I agree with them, that they could market that as the best job in the country. Does it mean you to, to someone, not to everyone, but if you want to come in and steer the ship of, uh, of a school's uh, athletic operations that have a chance to win in every sport and compete at every sport, Florida State's got an appeal that really no one does. Now, you're not going to do it with an unlimited checkbook. You're not going to do it with, uh, you know, the boosters at Texas who call you and give you $10 million because it's a, a rounding error in their, their own personal finances. But uh, they they hoped to go out and, and really, you know, be, be exceptionally aggressive and, and hand it over to an up-and-coming guy who would take over the program. And, and what's happened the past two years has just prevented that from happening. So... Uh, but what what you said, Sam, I, I've got to, you know, I've got to upvote that by a thousand. There's an awful lot of validity to what you said. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, we talked about, you know, all the problems, the challenges that they face. We know we're in the middle of a rebuild. 
Uh, Ingram, tell, tell us how long can you see, I guess, this rebuilding take? <laughs> I wish I had an answer, man. I, I do. And I, if, if this year was a traditional year, then I might have a little bit better <clears throat> window of time to put around it. Um, I just don't know how long it's going to take. What I, what I can say is that I think the pieces that they have in place are the type of pieces that you got to give time to and you, you got to give confidence in. And uh, it may take, may take longer. I mean, you know, the year zero conversation, I saw somebody said on Twitter, at this point, we may need to consider it year negative one. Uh, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe, man. I mean, <laughs> this is just a damn mess. Uh, I, and I think, you know, I think if you keep the pieces, as long as you don't have uh, some of these assistant coaches run off, I think you got an awful lot of stuff uh, that that can be trending in the positive direction. And I, I think you have uh, support to make you competitive in recruiting. You're not going to go beat, uh, you know, Alabama for the number one tackle in the country anytime soon. But I, I think you've got the, you know, the off-the-field support uh, to go be competitive and go sign more for four stars and three stars and, you know, start to uh, transition the roster into a level. But I, I think it's probably going to take two or three years. Uh, now, one thing I will say, and this is part of the athletic director conversation we're saying we're having and part of the uh, – hey, this school really needs money problem, is that for the first time I've ever, I think I can actually track losses because of it. And the losses that are coming are in the future. I mean, uh, Florida State's schedule in these opening games in the manner they are <laughs> is because they need the damn money. And unfortunately, as the program is currently, uh, uh, you know, currently built and, and framed, there are going to be an awful lot of losses when you're playing schools like LSU in, in the game one of the year. So that's just going to slow down the process, and uh, it's going to make it a little bit more of a challenging uh, turnaround. But I, I do think that given time, uh, you can have faith that the, the current people here, uh, be it both off-field and, and on uh, when it comes to the coaching staff, uh, are the type of people, at least the type of resumes and experiences you would want for such a project. Adam? What are you saying, man? I'm, um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just not sure. I think I'm thinking like four or five years, honestly. Um, I know that's not fun to hear, but it's just, uh, it's hard to, to see an immediate path because I think the gap between us and the standard, uh, of what we would like to be is just, it's enormous. Um, that doesn't mean that it's hopeless and it could obviously be, you know, quicker than that. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't have enough of a, of a taste or a sample size of this current staff at FSU to, to think anything, you know, catastrophic or to think anything great. And I think a lot of people, um, have sort of made up their minds. Like a lot of people feel like, you know, this is, uh, this staff is, is amazing. And I can understand, you know, looking at the resume, looking at, um, the track record of what Norvell did at Memphis and looking at the way that he assembles the staff. I completely understand. Um, there's a lot of positives and there's a lot of things to like, and there are things to like as Ingram was alluding to in regards to, um, attention to detail and off field hires. Um, I think, 
that those are all positives. And I think in general, that's the way that FSU needs to be approaching building a program. So I think a lot of things have been done right. Um, and then I also think ultimately you still got to put players on the field and they still got to play. Um, and ultimately they still got to win games. There are some things that looked better uh, last Saturday than the last couple of years, but there are also a lot of very, very familiar things that have not been ironed out. And I don't know how long it, that's going to take, um, whether it is uh, a complete purging of the roster being completely turned over or um, quite frankly, and I, and I, I had this conversation with my dad, who's, who's also a FSU alumni fan. And, you, you know, we have definitely seen, even in, in the most recent years, we've seen teams that have looked absolutely horrible in game one and by game nine or 10, it's a completely different squad. Um, and so that's not to say that that's what's going to happen with this team, but it's not outside of the realm of possibility. Um, if you think about Kirby Smart's first three games at UGA, everybody around there was scratching their head. Like, you know, what, what's, what's the deal? What's going on here? They almost lost to nickel state. Um, legitimately like that, that was about to happen. Um, and, and so it is possible for a tremendous amount of growth to happen to a single football team in a single year, in a matter of weeks. Um, and so I try my best not to, not to make a rash decision about what a team is or is not after one or two games. Um, but I also speaking strictly as an FSU fan, I'm tired. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just, <laughs> I'm tired. Like I'm tired. Dog. Like it just, it is what it is year after year. Like, watching some bullshit and so um you know i'm looking forward to to even if we're not national championship competitive which i think is some years away i'm really looking forward to sitting down on a saturday and enjoying the product that i watch um legitimately i struggle i struggle enjoying other people's games when i can't enjoy our game like i it just don't it don't it don't sit right with me um, and so I'm hopeful that that, that we can get to that place within the next one to two years. But I think in terms of being an, um, an elite program, a program that's competing for, uh, where it's a foregone conclusion that we're competing for a conference championship and, and a chance at making the college football playoff. I think that's, you know, four years, five years out. Um, that's, that's what I, that's what I'm thinking. Hmm. Um. So okay. So the way I think we got to preface is we got to define our terms, right? I think it. How long is the rebuild going to take? So how long does it take for us to compete for ACC championships? Uh, how do, how long does it take for us to win nine games or ten games? I think is that the question. I mean that. I mean that's yeah. how we're going to define it. I would, yeah, I would I mean, say that because uh, because if Clemson stays where they are. I mean, you you could go eleven and two. I think everybody on this call would con- consider that you know to be you're not winning national championships, but obviously the program is at a level that we can only you know <laughs> fucking dream about at this point. <laughs> so uh, I would not have it pegged to national championships, but I would say, hey, look, if you here's some things: uh, win ten games, beat Florida and Miami in the same season, uh, not not lose by 20 or more points you know 
Right. That 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 to me is uh, that you can say that Florida, you know, the the rebound has has taken place or the turnaround has taken place. And and if Florida State is doing that, then they're going to be able to go out and get kids on the recruiting trail that ultimately, you know, ultimately can challenge one of the more fine tuned, you know, better humming machines in all college football, which is Clemson. But uh, so I, I wouldn't pin it to, to win in the ACC right now with, with the way that Clemson's recruiting and the, you know, the culture that they have right now, the way that they're able to take kids in and shape them and seemingly keep, uh, you know, keep a lot of egos all pointed in the same direction. Um, and maybe it's some of these Clemson coaches leaving and taking jobs elsewhere that ultimately starts to erode that. But for now, I think Florida State's just going to look at itself, uh, act like, Act like a big boy school on the recruiting trail. Do what you need to do, and uh, and you know start chipping away at it. Yeah. So what I would say is, how long is it going to take? First of all, it's going to take some luck, right? And that's how every team like really rebounds, right? It takes. It, it might take. It 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 happen faster if Dabo takes another job, right? It happen faster if. Uh, uh, Manny Diaz get into a scandal. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm just I'm just mm-hmm. speaking in general. I'm not saying he's gonna get into a scandal. I'm just saying like this is the type of thing that it, that happens. Uh, but if, well, if, it, there's a lot of luck involved. Right. I don't mean to interrupt you, but like I'll say, if Lamarcus Joyner was one of those kids who wanted to take the biggest bag possible, Florida State wasn't getting him. Florida State just had a relationship with that kid and was able to get a kid who could have taken, you know, could have gone to the highest bidder. And I. And they, they were really fortunate. Yeah. It, it, you're going to need relationships like that. And whether it be somebody else stumbling or, you know, to look in and, and build a relationship with a kid who otherwise you might not be able to get at the time. Yeah, I mean, Ur- Ur- Urban Meyer leaving Florida. I mean, that contributed to the to the rebuild, like with Jimbo. I mean, let's be honest. You know what I'm saying? Um, I think that cur- if everything stays the where it, where it is currently, I think it is a four-year – three-year rebuild to 10 games. Um, the biggest issue, though, that I see, like I, I know you was talking like, behind the scenes, the recruiting behind the scenes. I think he's going to have to make an, a, a recruiting adjustment with the position coaches, and he's going to have to get really lucky that guys like Marcus Woodson, um, Dillingham, uh, Marv, Atkins, that they stay in place for three years. He's going to need that to happen. I mean – and I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer, but that that's going to take luck. I mean, those are young coaches, man, and 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 Alabama replaces five coaches a year, and mm-hmm. you know, you know, what I'm saying Georgia replaces coaches every year too. So I mean, yeah. you have to, they, he, he have to, we have to find a way to keep those guys in place, and he's going to make a few adjustments to the recruiting staff. I, I mean, the, the position coaches, in my opinion, I'm not going to name names, but some guys you might you might need to take a long look at and say. Maybe I don't need the most technical coach in the world at this position. Maybe I just need a, a, a complete dog on the staff. And you got to take your lumps where they're at. Um, I think it's – but uh, but once again, the more and more I look at this, you just you really just need a quarterback. You need a quarterback that everybody believes in that can play to say yes, to develop, and to be good. I mean, if you get that guy, you might can win nine games with a with a bad roster. You might can win ten games with a bad roster. You know what I'm saying? Uh but with the way quarterback evaluations go, I mean, those guys go to Bama, they go to Clemson, they they go to Georgia, and they 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 sit on the bench for two. I mean, for a year or two years. So you got to get luck with some grad transfers. 
I think it can change faster than them. It looks bleak now, but it, it can change fast. I mean, Diaz went and got King, and now he got offensive. You know, he got offensive coordinator. It looks better for them now. You know, um, I, I wouldn't be that down on. I think it can flip pretty fast. To be honest with you. Yeah, well, I think we know it can flip fast, and then what you just referenced means that in the future we're going to know that it can only flip faster. I mean, we know how quick it can change, and we know how, like, uh, when Timmy Jernigan was a junior, Urban Meyer's staff would laugh you out of the room at the idea that he was going anywhere but Florida. Uh, kid, by the end of it, was was as solid a Florida State recruit uh, as you can have, and obviously commits on signing day, but there people knew where he was going for a while. Uh, my point is, is that things change really quickly, and with the idea of going out and basically being able to get plug-and-play starters in a manner that we've never seen in college football before, uh, it's only going to accelerate the, the, the rate of change, or at least the possible rate of change. And that's, that's one thing, as an institution, I don't understand. I know a lot of these kids, uh, you know, if they're going to transfer, they want to go play somewhere that's going to play for a conference championship or something like that. But there's a lot of schools that can't offer that that are having a hell of a lot more success in the portal than Florida State has had. And that's a Willie thing. That's a Mike thing. Um, that one I'm kind of scratching my head at. And if Florida State's going to do this turnaround that we're all talking about, uh, they're going to have to figure out the language of the portal in a manner that they uh, seemingly haven't up until this point. Well, they got to do it quick, too, because they got some turnover happening at a couple roster positions that are not going to be pretty. Uh, if they can't get some serious veteran talent, uh, some mature talent in the door uh, immediately. So, yeah, I agree with that 100%. No, I, I agree with everything You know, I think everybody else has said. I think for starters, it has to be the quarterback, right? I think we, you have to get a, a quarterback in here either via transfer or, I mean, maybe Altmaier is it, right? I think you have to get somebody who can who can – change the program because I think it affects so much. I, I look at um, Georgia Tech and just going back to the last game, it's for me, it was just a simple, this guy is a little bit more composed than what we had on our sideline because I think it feeds, like it's an energy on, on the team. And if I got my quarterback who's freaking out and, and you know, he's emotionally pretty, for the most part all over the place, but now I have, you know, this other guy who, yeah, he threw a comes back, figures out what he did, and can come back and lead his offense and make plays, it makes a big difference in, in how the pro in how the team responds and how everything happens. So I, I don't think it's that far removed if we can secure that quarterback position. Now again, if is not the guy, then find a transfer, find something. But I don't think the rebuild I two, three years, yes, um, because I wouldn't imagine, but I think we saw it with you know North Carolina and Sam Howell going there immediately flips that program around and changes the trajectory. Now you know they're showing upside versus you know where Florida State is. So I, I think it honestly starts and start, uh, starts with the quarterback position. So Sam, you got anything else, man? Uh, um, yeah, I I do want to say one more thing about the rebuild. Um, I think this the 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 fear. I think the fear would be. If you look around, the guys that you got to start beating out on recruiting is uh, Jeff Collins, Manny Diaz, Jeremy Pruitt, right? Those are the three guys that I think you look around the country you're like, well, these are programs that you know you're going to be in head-to-head battles with, you know, for the, you know, in, in um in the near future. That's scary, you know what I'm saying? Because I mean, I think they are they have better relationships um, um, in the South. And that kind of that is the one thing that that does 
kind of bother me just a little bit. Um, so, well, yeah. Uh, look, the staff. I think I think the staff would be well placed to. Uh, I hate to be so simple and keep reverting back ten years. I mean, you got to go find an Eddie Grant. You got to go find yeah. somebody yeah. who who speaks the language of a certain hotbed of talent. And that's what's so frustrating with Jimbo is, is the end of his tenure. They had, you know, they had started to open up Atlanta in a, in a manner that I would have never guessed. And then everything just went to hell. And you got to make some smart hires uh, of guys who, you know, whether it's Broward County, whether it's Tampa, whether it's Atlanta, that you can drop them in one of these talent heavy zones and, uh, and that you got a chance to fight and win. And, uh, you know, for a period of time, Florida state, own the mid-Atlantic in a manner that nobody did. I mean, think about the kids that you went in and got out of there. Uh, and that's because you had some real relationships in that area. And Florida State, I realize you got, uh, appears as though you can speak the language of Texas pretty well and Louisiana. But those are two states that you're not going to, the you know, the cap on the kids that you're going to get out of there is only so high. Because if one or two in-state schools call for either of those, you're just not, you know, 88, 92% of the time, whatever it may be, you're not going to get top level talent out of those areas. So you got to go find an area where Florida State historically uh, can compete and win. And then you got to add maybe one or two more uh, guys that can go and, and really give you a, an opportunity to identify talent and then ultimately have them sign. Yeah, I think that's it. I, I really do. I, I think that's all it is to it, to be honest with you. Uh, a quarterback and uh, an Eddie Grant style recruiter. I mean, that's what you need. I mean, yeah, and some luck. Yep, and some yeah, luck. and a lot of luck. <laughs> but that's the thing where you know, I mean, Jimbo knew that area. Jimbo recruited Miami for Auburn for all kinds of places. That's the, that's the only you know, Mike Norbell ain't no baby. Trust me, he's not naive. Everybody knows what it takes to be successful in the world of recruiting. I'm not sure necessarily that he's familiar, at least up until this point. Uh, the kind of the geographical relationship uh, tie-ins that exist and, and how strong those can be when going after certain kids from certain areas. Yeah, that's, that's the truth. I mean, it's it's different, man. It's it's Florida's a different place, man. It is a it's a, it's a different animal. It really is. But, uh, Brandon, you got anything else on the docket? Are we good? No, man, we've covered everything, man. I, I just want to say thank you guys for coming on. We appreciate you, as always. So, you know, thank you guys. You got anything else y'all want to add? No, man. Uh, thanks. Thanks for having us. I, I did want to um, just point out, um, you know, I've, I've been vocal about the boosters lately, and I'm super uh, cognizant and sensitive to people's varying reasons for why they give or don't give, why they're members that are not members. Um, but just for perspective, I want to, make sure people understand. So FSU has about 350,000 living alumni. Um, you don't have to be an alumni to be a booster. Um, but we've got about 13,000 boosters. Um, and so that number is just extremely low. Um, and I don't work for the booster organization. Uh, I don't get anything personally from telling people to consider joining but at the lowest level, you can do $70 for the year to be a member. Um, and, uh, you know, if it, quite frankly, if, if, if we had, you know, even, even 10 to 20% uh, 
of the living alumni base doing $70 a year, it would make an enormous difference for uh, that effort in continuing to support the program. So I just wanted to throw that out there because I understand, you know, people have the attitude of, well, you know, I'm not giving them any money while they look the way they look. But the reality is um, everyone that's in the program, employed by the program, from the president to the AD to the Seminole boosters to the coaches, all of those people are temporary, but your affiliation to the university is permanent. And um, if we are withholding our support financially, waiting for a brighter day, we're only uh, holding up the process. So again, I'm sensitive to the fact that people have varying reasons and everybody ultimately should do exactly what they want with their money. So if that means not giving a dime of it to FSU, I understand, but I'm advocating to consider um, at least an iron arrow, $70 a year, um, starting out to contribute to Seminole boosters. Cause it makes a difference. Yeah. That's the question. Are we, are we optimizing? We're not really optimizing the booster organization. Like, I mean, f- as, as far as a grassroots look at it, like, I don't think they got, they're doing enough to create that grassroots movement. You know what I'm saying? No, they're not. They're not. That that is another that is another issue. Um, the the donations are top are very top heavy. Um, so you've got you know, FSU has a lot of um, what well, I say a lot. Um, that's relative, right? So you know, we if we get to comparing ourselves to to other universities that we compete with, it's not a lot. But FSU does have a significant amount of um, wealthy individuals who care a lot and are putting a lot of money into the program. But I think a missing opportunity 100% is that, that bottom level, um, that mid tier, you know, if people can do 70, 140, 330, 650 a year, um, it would $650, $330 a year. Um, it would make a tremendous difference because again, 350,000 living alumni, and again, you don't have to be an alumni in order to to be a booster, um, you know, and only 13,000 boosters. There's a lot of room for growth in in those lower tiers that would make a tremendous difference um, just by sheer volume. Uh, one of the things that Clemson has done that works really well for them is that the IPTE, I pay 10 a year. Um, it, it makes a big difference. And, and Clemson does have a larger living alumni base. But the reality is the those numbers, that volume makes a tremendous difference. So, No, I mean, what Adam said there is uh, they, they know they're not doing enough of a job uh, engaging in a broader net. I mean, uh, Bud and I did a, a story about the, or a pod about the boosters maybe a year and a half ago or so. So some of these numbers are, are dated, and I don't have them in front of me, so I'm kind of, I'm kind of winging it. But if I remember correctly – in the area of giving between like 5,000 and 12,000 a year, which is a pretty significant amount. And there's certainly some people who give, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands and some people give uh, that are measured in two comma donations, but that's a, that's a significant booster in Florida state and Georgia. We're pretty much in parallel. When you look at that type of group, the difference is, is what Adam says is there's not, uh, you know, the, the, the massive fall off occurs when you look at people that give maybe a thousand dollars, maybe eight hundred dollars. Um, and I, what I would what I would like to see the boosters do and maybe you maybe you incorporate it through the uh, the athletic department. Maybe this is part of the merging of those two things is that they could they could offer up a much more comprehensive media following package. Now, I realize they can't show live games. 
But like, for example, the soccer team that I'm wildly rabid about, I, I pay for my games through them. I give a little bit of extra money. I end up putting about $300 a year directly into that club. So, oh, that's fun. That's about as much as I can do. And that makes me feel a little more invested, but it means I wake up and I see a little bit more practice uh, every Thursday as far as a video package that they send you. I, I get interviews that I wouldn't otherwise get. They need to build out a better support form that, hey, you know what? If I get $500, it's not necessarily going to shape the direction that I go financially over the course of the next year. Uh, but it is a significant amount enough that uh, uh, it can really change the, the way that Florida State's boosters operate and the resources that they have to chase some of the things. So I hope they do a better job of kind of opening it up, giving uh, a little bit more of a product that you can actually purchase in addition uh, to just the support, because for whatever reason, people need to feel like they're, you know, getting something, whether it be an improved parking place, whatever it may be, that is kind of the precedent that this group has set and the fan base kind of feels that way. So I'd like to see them be a little bit more creative in what they offer and uh, it'll be one of the more defining stories as to how much uh, this this athletic program has success over the next 10 years or so. And at the same time, the school needs to enjoy uh, what it's done, what Adam said, the, the, the story of the last 40 or 50 years. And as frustrating as the football program is, you need to be cognizant of the fact that a school with no budget, relatively speaking, has created one of the best five to eight basketball programs in the country. And it's been that way for five years or so. Yeah. So let's not, you know, let's not let uh, what is otherwise kind of a halcyon period of time in one part of the athletic program. Um, you still have to be cognizant that that same group has created the conditions of uh, the other major revenue sport to flourish. Yeah, most definitely, man. I think we can wrap right there, man. I, I really appreciate you guys coming on. Um, oh, Adam, I know you got a podcast. You're getting ready to um, to start up, right? You want to uh, talk about it before you go? Uh, sure, yeah. I'll be uh, launching the podcast, a business that pays uh, as a financial planner, be speaking on uh, personal financial planning as well as business succession planning and value acceleration for small to mid-sized businesses. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. Um, first episode should be dropping here at the end of the month here in September. So yeah, definitely on the lookout for it. Yeah, definitely, definitely listen to Adam, Adam, Adam knows the financials and, um, Ingram, I know you got the Noel cast, which I think like I think y'all basically own like all the podcast media business. <laughs> but it's a great product, man. That is a great product, though. It is a great product. Well, I appreciate it, man. I really do. It's uh, something that I've been blessed to do. I mean, you know, I laugh at, at myself all the time when I see pictures my mom will send me when I'm a you know nine years old and I'm wearing head to toe Florida State and. <laughs> I might not have been able able to ever play for Florida State, but you know, there's some some bit of a little childhood wish coming true. The fact that I can follow the program at the level that we've been able to do, and it's just an awful lot of fun. So, uh, nothing but fortunate to be able to do the Noel Cast. All right, man. and thank you guys for y'all support, man. I appreciate you guys coming on, man. All right. <laughs>